Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I don't have to turn nearly as far today. I can kind of like orient myself this way and just rotate. That helps. Um, we're going to be in John 15 today, if you want to go ahead and turn to the same place we were last week. But we've got a lot. I've got a lot. We've got a lot. I've got a lot planned for today. Um, and so if I talk fast, just listen fast, okay? <laughs> but also, I know you don't have to go wait in line at a restaurant for lunch because we're providing lunch, so we've got extra time, right? I can cash in on that. Um, but really, I'd like to give you an update on the Peru trip that uh, Darren Foster and I took a couple weeks ago. I'm going to have Darren coming up here right now. I'm going to talk for a minute and show you some stuff, but I want him to stand here and look pretty while I talk. Um, so that he can just feel real awkward about that. So I'm going to bring him up now, and then I'll talk. And then we are going to do... <laughs> was that your Garth airplane? Yeah, that was my airplane. <laughs> we went last night, Darren and I and our wives actually drove to Birmingham and watched Garth and then drove back and got back at like 3 a.m. Um, and, and Garth was doing the airplane on the stage, like where everybody was screaming, and I told him I needed him to do the airplane on the stage this morning. So he came through for me. <laughs> um, but af after we talk about Peru for a minute, we're going to do John 15, and I just felt like there was a lot more in John 15 uh, that, that God might be saying to you that I wanted you to have some time to point out. And then since we've gotten out of Acts, we've continued to do this same Bible study method of you know, praying and asking God to teach us, reading a section of Scripture, asking what's his teach about God. If these things are true about God, what's he saying to our hearts right now? And, and then praying and asking God to do that in our lives and use us to share it with other people. And that method's not changing, but, you know, I'd said a few weeks ago, hey, we were just doing this same, like, couple chapters of Acts at a time, big chunks. And I wanted to remind us that as you're studying the Bible and always depending on God, that it doesn't always have to be that you sit down and read two chapters or, you know, a whole letter at once. That's a really good way to study but we'd taken some shorter sections, like the first five words of Psalm 23. Today, my goal is to grab like lots of different pieces of the Bible and pull them together and look at them, you know, like 50 different verses maybe. <laughs> lots of different pieces. I brought you up here too early, didn't I? Maybe I need to turn this way. Now I got more room. <laughs> um, and so I just want you to know that if you take notes, there's going to be a lot to write down. If you need to go back and watch on the the internet later, that's fine, um, but that's where we're headed, and then we're going to end with the Lord's Supper, and I was telling you all this up front just so that, you know, you could get your heart and your mind focused in that direction and be preparing for that just as we work through the morning together. So, our Peru trip a couple of weeks, uh, if you all were here with us a year ago, um, I think it was a year ago last Sunday morning, actually, that Miguel and Faith Saxara were here with us on a Sunday morning. Uh, they are missionaries in Peru. Miguel is originally from Peru. Um, Faith is originally from the States, from Georgia, actually, and her parents live in Alabama now. Um, but they have started a ministry in Peru that's focused primarily on reaching uh, the Quechua tribes that are up in the mountains, in the jungles, in villages kind of far outside the cities. And they asked us to come down and help teach for a weekend, basically do some training, and I'll explain that to you in a second. So first thing on the screen here, I feel kind of like a weatherman. Just if you don't know where Peru is, this is South America. Peru's over here on the Pacific coast. This is Brazil, you know, the huge country. Chile's right below Peru. So that's Peru. Now, we flew into Lima. Can you all see all that on the screen? I think you can. We flew into Lima, which is the only international airport. And then we took a flight from Lima that was about an hour and 15 minutes up here to Terrapoto. 
and it's across the mountains, into the jungles. And then what I've tried to show you here, just so you get an idea of what they're doing in Peru right now, their home base is in Lima. They have started soccer academies now in four different regions of Peru. Ayacucho, the, the one that's the farthest south, is about a 10-hour drive from Lima to give you a scope on the map. So from there, a 10-hour drive. They've started one east here, a uh, soccer academy there, one north um, to Cajamarca. And then this region we went to, the reason I wrote an eight here, they've actually started eight different academies in this region now, uh, in Tarapoto. So they've got 11 soccer academies going on. We only worked with one. I put a plus two up here because they're about to start two more. So looking to start 13. Like, really the scope uh, of just the, the, the extent of Peru that they're reaching already is really incredible. Um, they've got six to 700 kids in these soccer academies and then 50 to 60 coaches. And the way they've approached it, what really made it so exciting is that they've said, our job is to disciple these coaches and leaders. Like we're, we're teaching them about Jesus and teaching them how to study the Bible and then teaching them how to teach their kids. And then they're sending those 50 to 60 coaches out to all these regions, and those coaches have their kids, and they're teaching their kids the same things. And then the kids are going back to their villages, which, so, you know, 11 different academies, eight of them are up here in this region. We only went to one the weekend we were there because this drive, because of the mountains, if we had driven, is a two-day drive. And then when we got to Terrapoto, there were villages that, you, like we, one day we drove over the mountain, I'll show you the picture in a second, it's like a 90-minute drive to get up, and then the road ended, and we got in a boat, and it was a half-hour boat ride on down to the first village, and the farthest village they've reached so far is three hours down the river. So, I mean, really, like when you're thinking ends of the earth, like, it really is that. But we only worked with one of these 11 academies. They brought in 24 of their leaders, like teenage leaders, who they're training, and then they're leading all the other kids on the other teams in this same stuff. Well, the one academy we went to, they sent them back to six different villages. And so, you know, in your head, I do the math. I'm like, well, they got 11 of these academies. If every one of those academies is just reaching six villages, that's 66 villages scattered across this much of Peru. And just the the intentional disciple-making and the reproduction and the multiplication was really exciting. Um, uh, there it is. is it going, can I make that play, Justin? Is there some way I can... There we go. Maybe not. Well, this was a video. I was going to show you the whole group of 24. <laughs> maybe, they showed, maybe Eric showed it to you. You can see we're out in the jungle. This was the training center we were in. Um, this was really exciting to me. These were notes that one of the girls who was there, she was 16 or 17, took when we did the story of David and Goliath. And I'm not going to translate. It's all in Spanish. I'm not great at translating anyway. But this middle section, like this paragraph here, like the gist of what she said was this story, in this story, we see a lot about the story of David, but it's always the story of God because Jesus is known as the son of David, and God is always the one doing everything. And that's what she took away from her. This is really what the Bible's about, this story. And then the next one here were the notes Miguel wrote on the board for me while everybody was talking. And I just wanted you to see the question they ask in red that's hard to see there is, what does this teach about God? But then these are the truths that the kids came up with. Uh, God is bigger and stronger. God saves his people. Um, 
God is able to do whatever he wants. God is always with you. God is merciful even when we don't deserve it. And God has a plan. And Darren and I were just talking about seeing Dios, 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 you know, starting every, every sentence with God, and then Miguel underlined it in red, just that emphasis on this is about God, and this is about you knowing God. Um, so here, this was the mountain we drove over. I'm just trying to give you that. So we landed in Lima, flew an hour and 15 minutes to get to Tarapoto. Then we drove over this mountain about 90 minutes to get to this boat <laughs> that nine of us rode in down the river. Um, and on that particular day, we ended up in a village that I think wasn't super happy about the way politics are going in the country right now, but this just made me smile. Uh, that is basically, it doesn't matter who the president is, Jesus is the king. And so I just took a picture and I thought, wherever you fall politically here, always it would be good for all of us to remember that in every direction. Uh, this was Dr. Foster doing what he does. He was doing some dental work for them that day, just cleanings and, and stuff like that. And then this was the boat we got to ride back in, um, the, the nine of us, back down the river half an hour. And that may have been the last picture I took, yeah. So I think that gives you just a little bit of a picture of what we did. Uh, do you want to chime in on the stuff that was just made an impression on you or that you think is best for us to hear for a minute? Yeah, I think, is this on? Uh, one of my things is, you know, here it's just easy to think, hey, God's only in Tennessee or Mount Juliet or Nashville. Um, it's just interesting to fly halfway to the southern hemisphere and you get down there and you realize, you know, there's these plastic chairs, you can sit everybody in a circle and it really is just like being at home in your living room, opening the Bible, you have the spirit of God, you have the word of God and God is also in Peru. Like God is doing amazing things down there. I just sometimes in my self-centeredness, I start thinking, like, God's only working in my life. God's only working in my circle, um, and maybe that's just me. But you go down there, and you just realize, hey, God's big. God's doing things that I'm not even aware of, like things I hadn't even imagined. Um, and he's just there and alive and doing really well. Um, one of the things I told Miguel, we were kind of in the teary, like saying goodbye type things or whatever. You know, Andy was pouring his heart out and crying and stuff. It was kind of sad, really. Um, but I told Miguel, like, I'm like, I'm like, hey, we, we, we need to come see what you're doing. We need to learn from you. And he, you know, Andy had taught as he always does, very great things. And, the, you know, these kids, like, you know, just are kind of in awe of, like, hey, wow, we can read David and Goliath and see how God, how this is about God. But, like, how, how they're discipling people, how they're just using their, just a plain soccer ball to make friendships, and then to actually have conversations about God. I was like, that's just something that, that we need to learn. Um, and I, I just feel like every trip I go on, I'm the one that ends up learning something. And you're just like, like no, we don't, 
we don't need to come teach you how to do stuff. You need to be teaching us how to do it. We walked in one day to Faith Miguel's apartment, and she was there with a soccer student, uh, and they had just finished up. They call it the two-question method Mm -hmm. instead of text. But they had just finished up. um, I forget what verses they were going through. Philippians. But the kid, basically, he was one from these villages. He was going, trying to try out for one of the professional soccer teams there in Lima. And he found out he didn't make it. Uh, Well, they had gone through all this, uh, through Philippians there. And... He basically felt like a reject. His village, he was going to disappoint his village. He was going to disappoint his family. He was going to disappoint himself. But he realized that God still loved him by reading Philippians. And you're just kind of like, that's neat. Just here in this apartment, Faith sitting here talking to this poor little kid. His whole life is crushed because he didn't make the soccer team. They're able to open the Bible, and he's able to figure out God still loves him, even though he failed yeah 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 and to connect a few dots for you like because I, I do want you to see because we we sat a lot down there and just stared and were kind of in awe is the best way to say, of what God was doing it was real encouraging to us because also just to realize the ways that God's at work that's invisible to us and and sometimes even using us in little ways in it, and we don't know the scope of what he's doing. And, and I hope that it's an encouragement to you as I say these things to say, okay, I'm just going to keep being faithful right where God has me, whatever he leads me to do today. I'm going to follow him today, and I'm going to trust him today. And he can do what he wants with it. And I'm going to trust that he's going to do things I don't know, and he's going to do things bigger than what I ever see, and that everything he's going to do is going to be better than what I would ever have in mind anyway. And so a year ago when Faith and Miguel came, uh, to our church, you know, the point was to let you know them, and, and they were transitioning from working part-time and trying to run a ministry part-time um, to, to, in faith, like stepping away from their part-time jobs and, and doing mission work and ministry full-time because, I mean, when you see 600 to 700 kids with 50 to 60 leaders that you're training in, you know, 11 academies in four regions of a country, and it takes you 10 hours to get to that region, and, you know, a, a flight or a two-day drive to get to that region. Like, they really, this is more than full-time, what they're doing right now. Um, and so we were asking you to consider, would you support them, uh, and what they needed for the two of them <laughs> to live for a whole year uh, in Lima and do ministry was $24,000 a year. And so far, their monthly commitments are about uh, seventeen to eighteen hundred dollars a month. So they're still about two to three hundred dollars short. But God has provided for them this first year. And if you're interested in supporting them, it's empowering Quechuas, which and we can get you the information anytime. But it's Q U E C H U A S. That's the name of those tribes that they're visiting. EmpoweringQuechuas.com. You can give it to the office, and we'll set it up that way. Um, that's not the main point right now. The main point is when they came. That's what we were asking for: prayer partners and financial partners support partners. But while they were here this morning, we did this Bible study method. And they came to lunch uh, at our house afterwards. And they started telling us, they're saying, you know, like, we've got so many leaders now and so many kids, and we're having trouble keeping up because we're writing all the devotional material for all of them and trying to get it to them, you know, like every week for them to use at practices, use at games, use when they meet with them. And they're always asking for more, asking for more. And so they, they were really overwhelmed by that. And then they were also, I think there was a certain extent of frustration of 
we don't really feel like we're making disciples the way we want to, that we're empowering these people to lead and teach and know Jesus in a way that they can lead other people to Jesus. And so we had a really good conversation about this method that day. And they left and visited other churches. They went back to Peru. And then Miguel started texting me, and he would say, hey, can we Zoom and do this together? And so every few weeks, he and I would Zoom, and we'd study a passage together this way. Um, he was always gracious and let us do it in English, which made it a lot easier on me and a lot harder on him. And then he started saying, I'm going to do this. We're visiting a church this weekend. I'm going to teach this way at this church. And so he was kind of giving me those updates, but I didn't know really everything that had happened until we got down there and saw it to the extent of that they held a training for all of their coaches and leaders, for a weekend training. And this is what they did. And they were like, we, we want to teach you how to study the Bible and how to teach the Bible. Not that we keep giving you material, but do this with all your players. And so Faith had been writing most of the material, and she said, I had these people that, you know, they were asking me every single week. And she said, for three months, I didn't hear from them. And she was like, I really got concerned because it was like, have we run them off? You know, have they given up on us? And it was a lot of regions to keep up with. She said, so finally, like, I reach out to some of them, and one of them was, she was the lady that, that harassed me the most to always give her material. And I sent them this email. I'm like, hey, is everything okay? We haven't heard from you. Do you need material? And she said the lady who had been asking for the most stuff responded and said, why would we need material? We have the Bible. <laughs> and it was just like, like, this is happening. God's really doing this. And, and to see the multiplication and the growth and, and people saying, yeah, we do have the Spirit and the Word, and that is enough. And, and, and just even to go down there and walk in and be like, I don't know how many sessions we're going to do. I don't know how many people are going to be there. I don't know where we are. I don't know what the technology is going to be. But you know what? We've got the Bible, and we have the Spirit. We can pray, and we can ask God to speak. And then one day we sat down with those students, those 24 kids that I was trying to show you the video of, and, um, and we did a session. I mean, you know, it's an hour. I, I admit, like, I can't not do an hour, I guess. And then you got a translator, and so it's longer. But we did a session that morning, and we took a little break, and then we did another session, and we took a break, and then Miguel led a session with them, and we took a break. And then we did another session, and they just sat there the whole time, like, just every note they took, them, their hunger to hear from God and to know God. And so then the other connection to us is those 24 students, most of them teenagers, some of them are in their 20s, just the leaders on those soccer teams, when they went back to their six villages, they took some of the Bibles uh, that, that we as a church gave money for back at Christmas with our kids' art show. They took those Bibles back to their villages to give to people who don't have a Bible at all, uh, the very first Bible they're going to have, and to study with them and to lead this way on the teams they're playing on in their villages, in their churches, in their villages. And so it really is, God is doing some really good things through this ministry, through Miguel and Faith and in Peru um, and it was, it was exciting for me and encouraging. And even walking into their apartment, you know, and, and they've brought the, the kid in from the village to try out for the professional team, which is a huge deal. But it's like, hey, while we've got him here, we've got a captive audience to study the Bible this way. And so they do, they call it the two-question method. Um, you know, we, we've done soap here before, we've done text. You probably, if you think about it for five seconds, you realize nothing crosses language barriers well when it's an acronym because every word starts with a different letter. And so they just call it the two-question method, and they, they pray with them, they read the Bible, and they ask, what's this teach about God? What's God saying to your heart right now? And so when they had walked through Philippians that day, uh, that 17-year-old that boy had pulled out four really big truths about God, and they got to the end, and, you know, what, what's, he saying, what's God saying to your heart right now? And he's saying, 
God loves me no matter what happens with this soccer stuff. Um, and just, you know, the, the pressure that he'd put on himself of I've got to make this team for, you know, what's coming next in my life, to make my village proud, all that sort of stuff. Um, it was a really good moment. Because then we just accidentally walked in on that as we got back in time when they were finished it up and just to see, like, this is really what God's doing. Um, and so I, I hope with all that that it would encourage you to really believe that God's at work in way bigger ways than what we see, but also that, that this is what God wants to do with us here, <laughs> that, that we would be intentional and deliberate. But let's have these conversations with people. Let's invite people into a conversation, almost not really with us, but into a conversation with God, where we would sit down together and say, let's just pray together and read the Bible together and ask God to teach us about who he is. The same thing that we do in here every Sunday morning that we would be doing on a really regular basis in our homes and with our kids, with our spouse, um, with, with friends and coworkers and teammates and, and neighbors and classmates that I can tell you for certain now, like I always believed this, but I can tell you for certain that it crosses cultures, that there isn't there just there aren't the type of barriers where you're like, well, we, you know, yeah, this works here, but not the spirit and the word God gave them to his people to reach the world. And when we come and we say, this is what we're dependent on, and this is what we have, and this is what we want to give people, that is where God's at work. That is what he's doing. Um, and I'll, I'll stop on that for now so we have time for some other stuff, but anything else you want to say that you want to add? I think you summed it up quite well. Thanks. Yeah, I, I do. What, that's why I brought you up here. Yeah, I, I just I agree with. I you. wanted the moral support. <laughs> you can go on down now. <laughs> I'm gonna put your mic over here. Um, sorry if I'm off camera. If you're watching on the screen right now, I'm on the internet. Um, I'm walking back over there. Don't chase me or anything. Uh, oh, the other thing I want to say about Darren, um, he's a great friend in general. But one of the things that he did for me that was, you can't ever overstate this, and it's the first thing in this whole process, is on the way down there, I got a hold of what I guess was like a really bad chicken wrap on an, I'm going to say their name out loud because I am a little annoyed, on an American Airlines flight. And uh, so we landed in Lima, and that first night I threw up all night. Like I didn't sleep. I mean, it was bad. And I finally got all that out of my system, and we walked around to six pharmacies that day and found, like, some anti-nausea medicine. But it was like I was drained. I hadn't slept. had nothing in me. But he, he told me after the fact of that first night, he was like, I would hear you in the bathroom. We were, in, we were sharing a hotel room. He said, I'd hear you in the bathroom. I'd just start praying, God, help him get some sleep. God, help him stop throwing up. And so I already knew that he was just, whatever was going on with me, like, I had him in my corner praying for me. And so then we met with these kids, and we had done three or four of these sessions at that point. And so we had kind of talked about this, but then Miguel came without talking to us and was like, hey, I think we should just let them pick anything they want to pick in the Bible, and we'll do it. Okay, this will be fun. Well, they pick Proverbs 4, 1 through 12. And you can go and read it later, but if you want the hardest thing in the whole Bible for what's this teach about God, that might be it. And because you need to grab like a bigger part of the introduction to Proverbs, you've got to connect like the whole theme of all of Proverbs to other sections. And it's not that you can't study the, that section of the Bible that way. It's just for that to be the third or fourth thing that some of them had ever done with this method ever. 
And so I'm sitting there, and we're listening to him talk, and he tells me afterwards, he says, I start praying for you that God will give you wisdom and show you what to do. And we ended up in, in the conversation in that section connecting the teaching of Proverbs to 1 Corinthians 1, that Jesus is our wisdom from God for us, and that the wisdom of God looks like foolishness to the world, but the wisdom of God is stronger than man's wisdom. And it ended up being probably the best session we had the whole time there. But it was that moment, like when he told me afterwards, hey, I started praying this for you. And I, and I knew it was like the exact moment that this popped in my head. And I knew he had prayed it into my head for me. And I just want to, I want to really <laughs> urge you all that when we pray here in a minute, that's who we're praying to and that's why we're praying. Because we're praying to a living God who is faithful to communicate to us and to point us to himself and truths about himself in his word, that he really has sent his spirit to be in his people and to be with his people and to build up his people and to remind his people about truths about him and the truths that he's already taught in his word. And we're not coming just to another book, you know, a book by a dead author but an, an author who's still alive and, and speaks and can explain. And when we come, like, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea how to get from here to here. That it's an author who can speak spiritually to us and say, well, I can tell you what I meant by that. Listen to me. Um, and so I, I just I want to remind you of that. I want to encourage you with that. We're going to do John 15. And then with them doing the two-question method, I feel like today was a good day, just so you know where I'm going to go after you all talk for a few minutes. Um, to revisit why do we study the Bible this way. And so that's what we're going to do with all these other scriptures. I really want to give you a big picture view of, hey, this is not a method that anybody came up with. Like, I did not come up with a method. Michael didn't come up with a method. Like, it, it's almost like gravity, right? Nobody came up with gravity other than God. We discovered it, but he's the one that made it, and it was already there, and, and we realized it was there. This method is grounded in the truths that God himself has already revealed and teaches us in the Bible, and it's a matter of us listening and saying, hey, this is what God says, this is how God says we should do it, and none of us have come up with this. We're trying to just listen to what God says and do it the way that God says to do it. And so I thought it'd be a good day to say, say hey, here's, here are the truths about God that are at the foundation of this, why we're doing this this way. And it doesn't matter what you call it. Like, you can go somewhere else, and it doesn't translate at all, and you just say, we're, we're asking two questions. And you can do that here if you want to. I mean, I, you know, the more you simplify it, maybe the better it is. But I, I want to remind you of the spiritual foundation of what we're doing, because it should be the spiritual foundation not just of our Bible study. It should be the spiritual foundation of our life. It should be the spiritual foundation of our church. It should be the spiritual foundation of the way that we make disciples in every area of our life. So that's where we're, we're headed. Um, I do want you all to go first. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to read John 15. And maybe there are things that you just want to reemphasize from last week that you feel like hey, this was really important and God spoke really loudly to me through this. Or maybe there's some new stuff that we didn't get to last week. I didn't give you enough time. I really am going to do my best to write down your truths and be fairly quiet for like 10 minutes so that you get a little bit of time. And then we are going to go like lots and lots of stuff, just so you know it's coming and you can write real fast. So that's where we're headed. John 15, I'm going to pray, and then let's listen for what God says to us about himself. Father, thank you for this time right now. Thank you that you are faithful and personal and intimate to work right here, in 
us in our lives this morning, where we are, just us. These few little, seemingly insignificant people in the scope of how big the world is, and you come and you meet with us. Thank you for that, and then thank you that you are so big and powerful and sovereign and wise that we go to Peru and you're there. Or we go to Asia and you're there. We go to Africa and you're there. And we go to a hundred other places in Tennessee this morning and you're there and all across the United States and North America that, that you're not limited the way we are. That you are bigger than us and wiser than us and stronger than us and that you are building your church and you are advancing your kingdom and you are making disciples in the name of Jesus by the gospel of Jesus, that you're pouring out your spirit around the world and still doing this great work that you've promised, that, that when we don't see it, you are doing it. And even what we do see, you are doing so much more. And I thank you for the reminder that you gave Darren and me a few weeks ago. And I, I pray that today it's a reminder for all of us and I pray that you will use that, Father, to stir up in us a hope and an excitement and an anticipation about what you're doing, a desire to see it more and more and be part of it, um, and a trust and a faith in you that would look to you and rely on you and depend on you and, and would, would die to the way that we would do it, would die to our plans, our typical way of approaching stuff, um, and would just come and surrender and lay down before you and say, Father, you're the only one who can do this, and you can do this, and you are doing this. And so we come and we trust you. We want, to, we want to see what you're doing and be part of what you're doing, and we want you to use us in that way. So give us what you do. Give us what you promise. Give us your spirit. Make us more and more into disciples and followers of Jesus, and use us to make disciples and followers of Jesus who make more disciples and followers of Jesus by your spirit through your word. And so, Father, right now, please do that. Teach us by your spirit as only you can. Teach us from your word as only you can. Open us up to the truth of your word and open the truth of your word up to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, John 15. What's this teach us about God? Jesus says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be more, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All right. A few things that really stand out to you this morning. That What's that teach us about God? Who he is, how he works, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Um, what stood out to you this morning as we were listening to John 15? Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So, first thing, if you couldn't hear it, if you couldn't hear it, God has really simplified the process of bearing fruit, and we mean spiritual fruit there. Um, or another way we could say it is God has shown us that the process of bearing fruit is actually very simple. <laughs> it wasn't like, it wasn't complicated and he simplified it as much as we make it really complicated and he comes and you say, hey, he's simplifying our process, our wrong process, or he's just revealing to us the process that, that I've created is way simpler than you make it out to be sometimes. <laughs> you get lost in all this stuff that you make up, but this section of verses right here, so verse 4, like here's the option for bearing fruit, abide in me. And the illustration he take, takes is you know, that a branch has to be, connected to the vine, abiding in the vine, remaining with the vine, that the vine is the source of life. So you want to bear fruit, abide in me. Jesus said, be connected to me, united with me, one with me, that you, your branch, that if it's broken off and on its own, it's dead and can do nothing. If your branch connects to me as the vine, like I am the source of your life. I am the source of every good thing that flows out of you spiritually. You will bear much fruit. Or your other option, if you don't abide in Jesus, if you're not connected to Jesus, relying on Jesus, depending on Jesus, turning to Jesus, looking to Jesus, trusting Jesus, all the things that would describe what faith in Jesus really is, if you're not doing that, your other option is 
you can do nothing. You either abide in Jesus or you do nothing. That, that is how simple it is. That Jesus is the only source who can produce all the spiritual things that God wants from us and that God desires to do in us. That Jesus is the source of all of it and your connection to him is the crucial connection for your entire spiritual life. And so it will either be Jesus is your source or nothing. Nothing. Like There isn't something else. There's, not a, there's nothing else that you can do, whatever you do, that will bear any spiritual fruit if you aren't connected to Jesus, if you aren't relying on Jesus. If it doesn't grow out of faith in Jesus, no matter how good it is or how good it looks or how good it seems or how much everybody in the world will say, oh yeah, that's a good thing that you should do. When you do even those good things, they are nothing if they don't grow out of faith in Jesus. And so I know I'm already talking, I'm sorry, but like a simple illustration right here. You get up tomorrow morning, and you're like, okay, I know I need to read my Bible. Everybody tells me that Andy harps on that all the time. Like, how else are you going to know God? You've got to listen to what God says in his word. And you get up, and you say, okay, I've got to do that. That's an important thing for me to do. I'm going to do it because I'm supposed to do it. And when I do it, I'll feel like I've done a good thing for today, and I'll feel good about myself. I did the thing I was supposed to do. That's not Christianity. You can read your Bible and that not be Christianity. You can read your Bible and it be sin. Now, I'm not telling you not to read your Bible, okay? But I am probably telling you it'd be better for you to not read your Bible that day than to read your Bible out of self-reliance and self-effort and self-righteousness and feed your flesh and be more confident in yourself when you get done and less confident in Jesus because you spent time doing what you can do in your own strength and not relying on him. So you can get up and read your Bible in a way that's sinful for you because it doesn't grow out of faith in Jesus. Or the exact same act, you get up and you say, I know I need to do this today. But not to prove that I'm good or not to be good or not to feel good about myself, but because Jesus is my life and I need him. Like I need him. And this is where he comes and meets with me. That by his spirit, he speaks from his word. And so I know that I need him today. And also, I'll confess, I don't feel like doing this. And you, and you start with the place that this isn't in me. Like, I can't produce in me the good and righteous desires that I should have. And the only thing that really motivates me to do this is self. Like, if I, if I do it, I'll do it by self and for self. And so I start by confessing that to God. Like, God, here's where my heart is today. It's not where it needs to be. And I, I can't come and do this the right way. And so instead of making myself do it, when I, I'm just going to come and confess to you that I can't. And now I'm going to ask you to give me something I don't have. By your spirit who lives in me, by the spirit, produce in me the type of obedience that is the obedience of Jesus and not my man-made, self-righteous, self-effort, self-reliant obedience. Give that to me. Give me the desires I should have. Change my heart so that I want to do what I should do. And then when I come, I don't come just to say, yeah, I've done that, I checked off the list, I did what I should do, I can tell people I did it, whatever it is. I come because I really believe I need you. Like, I wake up today, and I know, I know what I am without Jesus. And I know how much I need Jesus. And I believe him, I trust, this is like faith in Jesus, you're saying, I trust Jesus, I believe him, and part of what I believe is what he says, and I know what he says about coming to him in his word, I know what he says about how he feeds us and nourishes us and sustains us and teaches us and reminds us and encourages us and builds us up, I believe what he says, so no matter what I feel right now, 
And I, I still don't feel anymore like I want to do this. And I still feel this battle with my flesh and myself and, and just all the things, that was, the pride and arrogance that would well up inside me because I'm doing something right. I feel all that, but you know what? I don't trust that. What I feel, my emotions, that's not the ground for truth and reality. I believe what Jesus has said. I believe he'll be faithful to do what he says. So I'm going to come read, believing that he's already answered this prayer. Believing, even when I don't feel it, that he's producing in me what I asked for. Believing that he's going to speak and teach and believing how much I need him. And then you do the exact same thing, right? You read the Bible, just like you would have done over here. And nobody on the outside, even yourself, can see any difference in that external act. But do you see that the world of difference, the depth of difference in, is this an expression of faith in Jesus? reliance on Jesus, hunger for Jesus, need for Jesus, confession to Jesus? Or is this an expression of, hey, here's the good things that I do because I've got the willpower and the self-reliance and I just make up my mind to do it. And you know what? I'm one of those people that you tell me what to do and I'm going to do it. And, and now I can go tell everybody, I read my Bible every day this week. Do you remember any of you that did you grow up in the kind of places that I did where they gave you the offering envelope every Sunday morning it had the little boxes on the side of Bible read daily, lesson studied, um, you know, you could, you could write in how many contacts you had with people you'd invited to church, and you had to tell whether you talked to them personally or whether you'd made a phone call. Do anybody else have those offering envelopes? This, those aren't in and of themselves a bad thing. They're just like reading the Bible, right? You do every bit of that stuff out of faith and reliance in Jesus, and you fill that thing out, and you're like, this is evidence that Jesus was at work in me this week. Thank you, Jesus, that a wretch like me, that you'd be producing some sort of spiritual fruit in my life. That's a great thing. But I'll tell you what I did. I got that envelope, and I wanted my boxes checked. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that I was putting enough numbers in my contact list, and I wanted my little, like from four years old on, I wanted my little star on my chart in the Sunday school room, right? So if we were out of town somewhere, we had to go to church, and I had to get a bulletin and bring it back so I could prove that I went that week so I could get my star because I didn't care about going to church, and I didn't care about knowing God, and I didn't care about encountering Jesus that morning. I wanted my star, Listen, some of us have built an entire religious life and some of us have built entire churches on showing people our stars. And we're not connected to Jesus. And we're not relying on Jesus. And if the stars, they're really shining. They gave us those little shiny, like glittery ones that are red and gold and green. And I always wanted to alternate the colors. Like in the light was shining. It looks really shiny and glittery and pretty. And, and your whole, the whole line's full for the whole year. You get your 52 stars across that poster board. And it looks great. And your heart's dead because you're not connected to the vine. Because you haven't learned to depend on Jesus. You've learned that you can earn your stars. And you're happier with your stars than you are with Jesus. And you'd rather look good and people be impressed when they see your name on that board than to say, no, this is who I am. I wake up in the morning and I don't want to do this. I don't love God right now. I'm tired and I'm frustrated and my kids are on my nerves and I'm selfish and I'm impatient and I just, I just want what I want. I want to be left alone and do whatever I want to do. That's who I am. And I don't want to tell people that, and I don't want to show people that, and so I find ways to hide it and fake it, and it just festers inside of me and gets worse, and I just keep dying. Instead of dying to that and saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you right now. I need you today. I need you every moment of this day. And if you give me everything I need today, and I live exactly the way I should, and I get a star today, I'll need you just as much tomorrow. I don't get to move on. 
There's nothing past Jesus. It is Jesus or it is nothing. So yeah, God has really simplified the process. It's either going to be you depend on Jesus or there's nothing. And then you come down here and he says abiding in him, it means that his words abide in you. I mean, like this is as clear as it gets for what we're talking about. If you know Jesus, you're going to know who he is in his word, and, and his word's going to be saturating you and changing your heart and changing your mind. This, this is how he gives himself to you and gives his life to you. This is why what we're doing right now is so crucial and why it is so crucial that you would do it every day. It's why you need it every single day. But not to prove yourself, and not to check a box, and not to get a star, but because you really need Jesus. And this is how Jesus gives himself to you. And so then he says, so now you know what he's saying, and so... If you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love. Like If you listen to what I say and do what I say, but then he simplifies that whole thing where it's like, this is what I'm saying. This, the sum of all of it, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Even that is not grounded in you. Do you hear that? Like you're not the, the it's as I've loved you. He's already given you this type of love. You have received this type of love from him. And so now you have it. From him, his love for you, and you're able to love out of that toward others in the same way. And he's saying, take everything that I ever tell you in the whole world. Here it is. You know, and in another spot, he, he splits it out a little bit for us. Love God with everything you are. Love your neighbor as yourself. But see, if you live that out, you will naturally fulfill everything that God wants for you. Because he is a God of love and a God who loves you and a God who has already loved you. And when you're connected to him, that love is flowing from him to you. And he's filling you up with this life of love that then flows out of you back toward him and to others. And so, yeah, God's really simplified the process of bearing fruit. You'll either trust Jesus or there'll be none. You'll either rely on Jesus or there'll be nothing. You'll be connected to Jesus and acknowledging your need for Jesus and confessing to Jesus and asking Jesus for everything or there will be nothing of good spiritual fruit in your life. It's that simple. And we're really tempted to not believe that. And we're really tempted to produce our own stuff over here, like bring our own fake fruit and glue it on the tree and then pretend we're producing fruit. And then just keep like polishing it and making it really, really pretty so maybe it'll deceive everybody. And he's like, burn all of that and let me produce the real thing in you. I did a terrible job. I'm sorry. Good grief. All right, we've got to get to the other stuff. You all go. Like, I, but that was really good, so it's your fault. <laughs> what else? Two or three more things. It may be like a normal morning right now. You get two or three sermon truths instead of 20 or 30, and then we move on. Uh, what else? Yeah. So the air's running, and I had a little bit of trouble hearing you. Did you say if you're getting bullied at school, is that right? One of the truths you see here is that Jesus has chosen you out of the world. Awesome. So you care about him and focus on him more than other people. 
Right, that, that when you're following Jesus and, and the world hates you because you look like Jesus and not like the world, that, first of all, you shouldn't be surprised by that. that. The world, apart from the work of the Spirit changing our heart, the world hated Jesus. And if you look like Jesus, the world is going to hate you. Now, we miss that truth a lot. Like we think, if I do the right thing, everybody's going to like it and approve. And then the really dangerous thing is that when everybody doesn't like it and approve, we're like, well, I must have done the wrong thing. I better do something different. And we leave the thing that God's calling us to do. Listen, not everybody's going to be happy with you following Jesus because not everybody was happy with Jesus. But at the very same time, and, and there was a thousand things you said right there that were so fabulous, and I hope that you all could hear kind of the summary I was trying to give. But this truth that Jesus... Write this down in big letters. Jesus has chosen me. Like there are so many lies and doubts and fears that have a lot of power and control in your life that when you know this truth, that it, it can shatter those lies and doubts and fears. It can break them. That Jesus looked at you and it, it doesn't make sense, all right? This is not like, this is not the whole, hey, feel good about yourself. Do you know how special you are and how valuable you are? And, and you, you were this precious diamond, and because of how valuable you were, Jesus wanted you. It's not that. It's do you know how great Jesus is, how loving he is, how gracious he is? And he looked at you and wanted you. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the, the word of God by whom all things were created looks at you and he wants you. He chooses you. He loves you. He loves how he's made you and he wants to redeem every good thing about you and turn it into what it was supposed to be all along. And he wants to take all the bad and twisted things that have missed the mark and redeem them and turn them back into what they were supposed to be. He loves you perfectly because of him, because he's so worthy, because he's so valuable, because he's so perfect, because this type of love already exists in him, because it's who he is. He is love and he looks at you just as you are as wretched and messed up, the, the failures, the mistakes, as much as you've fallen short, every single thing that the world would look at and despise in you and reject you for and bully you for, all those things, Jesus sees all of it and he says, I love you. I love you right where you are, right as you are right now. You don't have to get right or be better for me to love you. I already love you. And now let my love be so powerful in you that it makes you right and it makes you better, that it sets you free from all the stuff that's shackling you and ensnaring you and trapping you. Let, let me take you where you are, come to you right where you are and love you right where you are and choose you right where you are and then bring you with me. And so, yes, like when we hear the rejection of the world, whether it's bullying at school, whether it's most of us have somebody in our life, maybe multiple people in our life, that their voices in our heads from childhood or from work or from family always telling us, we actually talked about this last night for a minute on the way of the trip, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. No matter what you try to do, I'm never going to be pleased with you. It's not enough. It's not enough. Do more. Give me more. Be better. And we hear that and we believe that and it sends us down this road of, if I get five more stars, will I be good enough? 
If I come every week and check every box, will I be good enough? And we keep begging somebody to say, you're good enough. And Jesus shows up and he says, you can stop listening to all of them. You're not good enough, but it's okay. I love you anyway. I love you right now. You're good enough for me to love you. Because you don't need anything for me to love you. And then my love is so powerful and so strong and so life-changing. I'll make you good enough. I've already been good enough for you and I'll live in you. Again, we could talk about it. Like This is the whole Bible right here. But yes, when we hear those voices from the world or the people in our life, don't listen to them more than you listen to Jesus. Don't let their voice be louder than Jesus' voice. But part of the challenge for all of us is they're always saying it. And so the question is, are you always listening to Jesus? Are you in his word all the time? Like storing it in your heart. Read, like when, when you have 10 minutes, sometimes I'm really good about this. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I'm really good about this and sometimes I am terrible about this. When I've got 10 minutes somewhere, like I'm waiting and waiting impatiently probably, knowing me, or I'm waiting on the girls at an activity, is it I'm just going to scroll Apple News or whatever social media you all scroll. I don't scroll social media, but I do scroll Apple News. Or am I going to pull up my Bible app and just read? For, this is 10 minutes that I can listen to him. This is 10 minutes. He can say something to me right now during the day that I need. It's not just 15 minutes in the morning. 15 minutes in the morning is great. I hope you do that. You know, or 30 minutes or an hour, whatever it is for you to really spend time with him. But just all throughout the day, this daily dependence, moment by moment dependence on Jesus, where his voice starts being constant in your mind. And the, like what he says to you in the gospel about you and then about him is the thing that you hear most often in your life. So it shapes what you think. Give us one more. Yeah. Right. God's grace always accomplishes God's purposes. That I know we can't wrap our minds around who God is, and next week I'd like for us to do a week on the Trinity. I think I told you we were going to do that just to more than anything, maybe to be in awe of who God is and how he's different from us. Um, and we won't, we won't wrap our minds around it. Maybe we'll grab a few more pieces. We're like, oh, yeah, I see this, I see this, I see this, but I don't, I don't see this. Um, but if you can just try to think for a minute what it's like to be God and to know everything you need to know and then to be able to do everything you need to do, like to never have your plans be thwarted. And, and what it means for us you know, that, that God exists on a level that we don't, and he knows on a level we don't, and he works on a level we don't, and we really can't even start to grasp that. And then he's created us as creatures who, he's the creator and we're creatures. He's the source, and we're dependent on him. He's the vine, we're the branches. Anything real that happens in our life has to flow. And so he's the initiator, 
And we're always the responders. Like, God's sovereignty means God has to initiate or nothing happens. And then our responsibility is that God calls us to respond to him. And I know there's all sorts of mystery there, and I'm not, I'm not even trying to begin to unravel that for you this morning. So don't even ask right now, all right? Because <laughs> we've got so much more stuff to do. But the Bible says both, that God, God is sovereign. And he's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. And we're responsible for how we respond to him. But in that, we also have this huge comfort and encouragement of God saying, I will accomplish this in you. When I choose you, I bring about what I promised you. I'm going to make it happen. I will get you there. And you, you've, still, you've got to trust him, and you've got to rely on him, and you've got to depend him and you, on him. You've got to look to him. And every moment you do, he's producing this thing in you that you could never, ever do, that only he could do, that he's the source of all of it. And he, he promises he is doing it. He is bringing it about. So we've got this great comfort and this great hope and this great promise that he will do this. It is going to happen. It is happening. And then, at the very same time, we also have this great check that if any of this stuff is happening in my life and I look to me, like I'm proud of my star and I'm proud of me, I'm already confused. Because who did it? It wasn't me. Right? He's the source. It'd be like you coming to my house and, and, and my girls have, I, I've, been, I've been at work all day, and my girls have worked really hard to clean everything up, and Christy's cooked this meal, and we sit down, and then I'm like, I want to thank me for how clean this house is and for how good this food is. I didn't do it. <laughs> and that's how silly it is when this good stuff gets produced in us, and then we get proud of us. Like, it's the grace of God at work in you. God's the one. And so uh, it's just a great check for us of anytime this thing becomes about you or makes you feel better about yourself or you're doing it for your sake, you're not abiding in that moment. And also, when you do, when these good things are happening in you or somebody else, praise God for it. Recognize that that is God. Thank God for it. Let it be yet another thing that brings you back to God and gives you more confidence in the fact that God's really doing what he said. This wouldn't be happening if God weren't doing what he promised. This can only happen by his grace. And so I know he's at work. And then in those moments of despair and frustration and where you say, I just, I don't know. I can't do this. This is too much for me. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good enough. Whatever. Fine. Confess that. It's never dependent on you anyway. Bring all your I'm nots to him. And then remember that he is. His grace always accomplishes his purposes. That his grace was coming and chasing you down, choosing you before you had ever chosen him. And, and when you turn to him, you're responding to what he's already done in you. Right? You're, you're choosing him, and you, do, you have to choose him by faith. But you're choosing him because he already chose you. It's just, it's the most glorious thing in the world when you see, like, you, like, it's all off your shoulders. The weight and the pressure, it's not on you. Because he says, I will carry it. That's his grace. He says, I can carry it. That's his power and his sovereignty. All right, let's connect that to where we're going. Yeah. 
I have to include verse 22. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, I wish I could spend more time here, and I can't. But yet Jesus, he's talking you know, specifically in this section about the Jews. He's like, I show up, and I'm doing everything that the law says, but they don't recognize me. And, and the connection he makes between himself and the Father, if you don't recognize me, you don't know the Father. Like, there is no knowledge of God, relationship with God, real religion of God apart from Jesus. It's all through Jesus. He says, so, so I come and I reveal to them the truth of who God really is. And they don't recognize it, for they don't know me. And now they're guilty in a way that they weren't even guilty before because I've come and I've just explicitly said, here's God and here's who he is. Look at me and you would know him. And they look at him and they reject him. And then what's, what's the hope for any of us? I'm going to send this helper, the spirit of truth who comes from the Father, and he's going to keep telling you the truth about, this is Jesus talking, about me. That the Spirit comes, and this is, again, this is why we pray the way we do, and we ask the Spirit to teach, because this is his job, this is why he's here, that we would know more about Jesus this morning. Because otherwise, we're going to reject him, and when we reject him, we're rejecting God. And Jesus says, I know you need help. And so the Spirit's going to come and show you the things you'll never see on your own. The Spirit's going to teach you the things you would never understand with your human mind. And the Spirit's going to open your eyes and soften your heart so that you will believe Jesus and trust him the way that you should. And through him, you will know God the Father and be in relationship with him the way that you should. It is God's work start to finish. The Spirit reveals, God the Spirit reveals God the Son to us and works in our hearts so that we trust him in a way that connects us back to God the Father in relationship the way it was meant to be. This is the, the triune work of God for his people, the grace of God in the gospel, doing what only God can do and promising, I will do this in you. I've chosen you. I'm going to bring this about. And so then go live with boldness and confidence that he's doing it. Even when your heart doesn't feel like it, don't trust your emotions more than you trust his promises. Believe that he's doing this. And listen, we're overdrive right here, okay? So talking about this, this Bible study method, um, and, and how you encounter Jesus this way. And, and I hope you see in John 15 why it's so crucial. Like why we need Jesus this much. So this, this is our whole life. This isn't just something that we do and it's not one thing that we do. This is the whole thing. This is what God is doing in his world, in his people, in his church. And I don't have time to cover them all now. I know I don't, but if you'll be patient with me, We'll go for 10 minutes here. We'll bring the kids in and do the Lord's Supper together and then sing together. But this first idea of depending on God, this is what he's revealed to us. Not, not a method that anybody's come up with, again. Not, not a method that I've come up with. It was somebody before me, like soap, I didn't come up with. Not a method that Michael's come up with. None of us came up with this. Like all we've tried to do is take these truths about God and organize them in a way that might help you remember them. But it's not ours. This idea of depending on God, you saw it in John 15 already, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. You've got to be connected to me or there's nothing. In Ephesians 1, when Paul's writing to them, he says, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So he's writing a letter inspired by the Spirit of God, but he's not like, well, that's enough. You'll have this letter. I'm a really good teacher. I'm a good communicator. The Spirit inspired me to write it. We're good. He's like, no, I'm praying for you all the time that... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
that God will give you, like the Spirit inspired it when it was written, but now that the Spirit will be at work revealing the truth, giving you the wisdom that you need to understand it in the moment. Do you see the dependence on God here, even when they're getting the letter from Paul, that the Spirit would do something? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. This is not some physical or intellectual thing that you can do. There's nothing you can do with your physical eyes that open up the light of the eyes in your heart. There's nothing you can do with your intellectual mind and your academic study that opens up the eyes of your heart. That the Spirit has, so we're dependent on God to do this. Ephesians 3, he gives another prayer. And look at, I'm, it's a prayer, but look at verse 19 down here. To know the love, of, he's praying that they'll know this. The love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How are you going to know something that surpasses knowledge? Like the one who can go further than all your knowledge is going to have to teach it to you, reveal it to you, give it to you. He's clearly saying right here that your human knowledge isn't going to be enough. There's something that only God can do, and you've got to depend on God. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul talking about himself. Listen to his dependence on God for everything that's happening, all the disciple-making happening in his life. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. If it depends on me, I never should have been what I am now. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. His grace accomplished his purposes. His grace is powerful to do what he intends to do. On the contrary, because it now depends on his grace and not on me, I worked harder than any of them. <laughs> when it was the grace of God producing it, the grace of God stronger than I am. And so what was produced in me, the work that came out of me, was even more than it would have been if I'd relied on myself. Though, don't get confused because I just said I worked harder than all of them. It wasn't me. It didn't depend on me. It was the grace of God that is with me. I was depending on God. Matthew 13, 9, this is right in the middle of Jesus teaching all of his parables. And so I want you to think, he's talking to a crowd, right, with his physical lips, his physical mouth, his physical voice. They're hearing all his words with their physical ears and all those parables. And he interrupts himself and he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Do you know how odd that is, really? Like, if you, like everybody in the audience is like, we hear you. If we didn't hear you, we wouldn't hear you say, he who has ears, let him hear. Right? But what's he saying there? He's not saying, he who has ears, hear the words that I just said. He who has spiritual ears, let him hear this spiritual truth that I'm teaching. You need something that only the Spirit of God can give you. You need him to give you spiritual ears to hear spiritually, spiritual eyes to see spiritually, a spiritual heart to believe and trust and love. So you're dependent on him. This is just still the dependent on, depend on God part. From there, we go to, okay, so we're depending on God now. This is why we pray. Like, that boils down to simply, will you start by faith, not by ritual, not by routine, but by faith and pray and say, God, right now, will you teach? Will you teach? We need you to teach. Will you speak? Will you open my eyes to see whatever truth you want to show me today? And maybe it's something that I've been looking at forever and haven't understood, and today's the day you want to show me. Or maybe it's something really, really specific to my life that you have for me right now, and you're just going to come in, and you're going to impact me in a way that only you can, and you know I need it, and I don't even know I need it right now, but I trust you more than I trust me. I need you by your spirit. Teach me from your word because we're depending on you. The next part is focus on God. And we're saying, okay, this whole thing's about God. So certainly the Bible's about God and our Bible study should be about God. So we're going to ask, what's this teach us about God? Here's why I say the whole Bible is about God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. You know who else is there? No one. 
You know what else is there? Nothing. (laughs) It all starts with him. It all comes from him. No one else is like him. No one else was there when he was. No one else came up with this whole plan and this whole story. No one else had the creative power of his word to bring it about. No one else spoke it into existence. It's him and it's his. And that's enough. Like we should, you can stop with the first four words right there, and should, we should know this whole thing's about God. But you get to the very end. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This thing that you started back in Genesis 1, when the Word was with God and the Word was God and God spoke His Word from the very beginning and made everything, now come back and finish it and bring it all about. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's how it starts and how it finishes. And listen, everything in between, in the whole, that myth, the first verse of the Bible and the last two verses of the Bible, and everything in between, he's the only character that's consistent in the whole story. Adam and Eve are there for a couple chapters. God's there with them. Then they're gone. Noah's there for a few chapters. God's there with him, and then he's gone. Abraham's there for about 14 chapters. God's with him, and then he's gone. Joseph and his brothers are there for about 15 chapters. God's with them, and then they're gone. Moses is there for a few books. God's with him, and then he's gone. Joshua's there for a book. God's with him. He's gone. All the kings are there for a few books. God's with them. They're gone. Every prophet, God's speaking to the prophets, and the prophets come, and the prophets live, and the prophets die, and God's still here. Like, it's always him. And just in case, like, the little, hey, first verse of the Bible, last verse of the Bible, don't do it for you, kind of here in the middle, this, may, this is as clear as it gets. And either your heart will rejoice and believe this, or your heart will be like, God can't be that big because it makes me too small, and I don't like that. I'm just going to tell you up front. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Like, his, his riches, his wisdom, his knowledge are so deep that how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his way. You're never going to get to the bottom. Dig as deep as you want, and God's the foundation, and you can't get to the bottom of him. Go as high as you want, and God's still there, and you can't get past him. Go as far as you want, and God's still there. He's the deepest reason, he's the highest goal, and he's the powerful means that gets you from one to the other. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who's been his counselor, or who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And that word all there is a sneaky one in Greek. The, the literal translation is all. <laughs> all things from him, through him, to him. And that's why to him be the glory for all of it. For The whole thing's about him. And so if you come to the Bible and it's not about him, you're missing it. You're missing the whole thing. If you come and, and it's, you're thinking about you and what it means for you, and that's your starting place, you're missing what it's all about. This is Jesus after he's resurrected, beginning with Moses, which that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets, which is you know, the last half of the Old Testament. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. This is Jesus showing up and be like, when you read Leviticus, it's actually about me. When you read Genesis, it's about me. When you read Isaiah, it's about me. When you read Hezekiah, when you read Hosea, it's about me. When you read the story of the kings, it's about me. We're not, we didn't come up with, hey, it'd be good to ask what's this teach about God. We didn't come up with that. Jesus said, this is the way that you'll understand the Bible. For if you believed Moses... This is Jesus talking here. His first five books again. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he wrote of me. That's 
I mean, it's an insane claim, by the way, for this carpenter to be standing on earth in like 31 AD and saying that out loud about stuff that was written 1,500 years before. Unless he really is who he says he is. John 12, 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. When you read Isaiah, Isaiah's talking about Jesus. That's why we're focused on God. I wanted to do David and Goliath here, just a verse from it. We're going to do the whole story in a couple of weeks. But just look, when David says why he's going to win, all that this assembly may know. This is why David's going to win the fight. That the Lord saves, not with sword and spear. Not that David could do it, not that a warrior could do it, but that God could do it. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David says everything that happens today is about God. If you understand it the right way, you'll know something else about God. You won't see something about David. You won't see something about Israel. You won't see something about Goliath. You won't see something about the Philistines. You'll see something about God. Or you haven't read this story the right way. In the story, he's telling you what you should see in the story. And we read it, we're like, I need to be like David. I need to be brave like David. I need to face my giants like David. No! You need a God like David's God. You need a God who's so big that he can take the smallest, youngest, rejected son and pull him out of a field watching sheep and be like, I can use you to kill a giant because I'm that big. You need that God because you are that rejected son. You are that shepherd who's not big enough and not strong enough. And God is big enough. So it's about God. So we focus on God from there then. If we're seeing these truths about God, the power of these truths is that we can have our heart changed by God. Not just that you'll know some more information about God and be able to rattle off some more truths the next time that you're in a Bible study and get more stars because of how much you know, but that God really changes your heart with the truth of who he is. And again, I wish I could read it all, but God's making this in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. He's making this promise of what's going to come in the New Covenant. For this, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law within them. Not just outside anymore, but I'm going to do something inside them. I'll write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. And then he expands that in Ezekiel 36. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. I'll clean you. Not you'll get yourself clean from me. I'll clean you, and from all your idols, I'll cleanse you. Everything that you love instead of God, I'll cleanse you of it. I will give you a new heart. This is God's promise to you. But he knows what you need. It's not more laws from the outside because you never could keep them anyway. You need something to change inside you. I'll give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove this hard heart of stone that you have, and I'll give you a new soft heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you, and I'll cause you to obey me. Like that's the new covenant. That is Christian. That's why if you read the Bible and you're the one doing it, it's not Christianity. It's not the promise that God made. It's not what he does by his spirit. It's when he's doing that in you and you're relying on him and trusting him. That's following Jesus. That's Christianity. And then we come to the New Testament and we see Paul saying that this is what's going on now, what should be happening in us in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If anything in the whole Bible sounds like something you've got to do in your own streak, that's it, right? If you stop there, you're like, I've got to work out my salvation. Watch the very next one. Like the thing that would seem the most like you have to do it, here's how Paul says you do it. For... It is God who works in you. 
the thing that you most have to do, here's how you'll do it. God will do it in you. Both, just in case you're confused, God will work in you to will, in other words, to want what you should want, and to work for his good pleasure. The things you should want, God's going to have to produce those desires in you. And the things you should do, God's going to have to produce that work in you. And you've got to do it. <laughs> you've got to do it. But the only way you do it is by being connected to the vine and remaining in him and drawing your life from him and him living through you and producing in you the things that only he can. We've got to have him changing our hearts. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will. He'll give it to you, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you, make you holy, complete, like the, the whole works his, completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will do it. This work in your heart. I can't do them all. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's the last one. Ah! We can do it. Awesome. So, heart changed by God. The last truth, you've already seen them overlapping. Empowered by God. Now, when you get up and walk out right now, and look, I know I spewed so much stuff, and I ask you to sit here, and you've been really, really patient, and I appreciate that. All this stuff that I just spewed on you. You can get up and say, okay, so this is what I got to do now. I see, I see it. I see what I got to do. Let me go do it. We've missed the whole thing. Or you can say, this is what I've got to do, and I can't do it. <laughs> this is what I've got to do, and Jesus can do it, and Jesus has done it, and Jesus is doing it, and Jesus promises to do it in me. So you know what I'm going to do? Before we leave, I'm going to stop again, and I'm going to acknowledge my dependence on him, and we're going to pray together, and we're going to ask him to do this in us. And then we're going to ask him to produce in us. Listen, to this. this is that prayer. We didn't read the whole thing earlier in Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, Paul praying for the church, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. So here it is. He's got to give you the power by his spirit. In your inner being, like you hear the heart work again, not just behavior, but changing who you are, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Jesus is going to come live in your heart as you trust in him, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. So here's the very first thing that you need strength from God for. Like the divine power of God that's strong enough to create all things, you need that power in you so that you can comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You need the strength of God to help you understand how much God loves you. The love of God is so great that you'll never understand it, you'll never believe it, unless God comes and does a supernatural work of power in your heart to help you understand how great his love is. And that's why just fiddling around in man-made religion and self-reliance and self-effort just makes you more and more of a slave because in all that, you can't ever understand how much God loves you. You can't understand how great his love is how passionate he is for you and about you and what he wants to do in you and for you and through you to his glory. Even for you to understand when God whispers, I love you, his spirit has to do something in you that gives you the strength to receive that love. So you've got to be empowered by him that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know why you don't have enough to do the things that he calls you to do? Because you don't understand his love for you. And only when you understand his love for you do you start to be filled with all of who he is. And he can do what he calls you to do. 
Now, to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, take everything you've ever asked God, everything you've ever thought about asking God, and he can do more. According to the power at work within us, he has given you his power in you. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. How will all this happen? Because it's empowered by him. He's doing this in you. Here's where we're going to end. And if you want to bring the kids in, Teresa, I gave you plenty of time today, so you can be happy about that. She's awesome about that, by the way. And all of our, listen, anytime you volunteer over there and I go too long, I'm sorry. Um, we've, been, we've been pretty consistent lately. I'm a little bit over today, and I'm sorry about that. But thank you for being patient and, and working with our children and pointing them to Jesus in that time. But Teresa's awesome. What I found is if I go a normal length, she's not done. So, you know, She's happy when we go along. But the kids are going to come in. If you want to be watching for them, here's what I want you to hear as we move to the Lord's Supper and worship. This new covenant that we're talking about, that we go from laws on the outside to the Spirit on the inside, changing our hearts, that God now, not just telling us what we need to do, but God saying, I'll do it in you if you'll trust me. That new covenant is what Jesus says, this cup is my blood of the new covenant. Here's what brings it about. Here's why you can receive that, because of Jesus' blood. And last week, we, in this section in John 15 where we started today, where he says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. The love of Jesus, that he would die for you and pour out his blood for you, that you could receive this new covenant promise, that you could receive the Spirit of God and a new heart from God. But then we find out that's not just for his friends. That We turn over to Romans 5 and he said, while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So you weren't even a friend. Maybe somebody would die for his friend, but you weren't a friend. You were an enemy to God and Jesus came and died for you. And so you know, to pull it out, like something going on in our world right now with, with Russia and Ukraine, it, it, we, most of us have seen this and been inspired by the, the bravery and the courage and the, and the fight of Ukraine to, to protect their people and their freedom and their independence from Russia. And so you, most of us would say, yeah, this, this Ukrainian soldier that jumps in front of a bullet to save you know, a Ukrainian person or, Ukrainian, or another soldier, that, that's inspiring. It is. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. But then I want you to imagine that that same soldier doesn't jump in front of a Ukrainian citizen, or Ukra- but he jumps in front of a Russian soldier and he takes the bullet for his enemy. The guy who's opposed to him and rebelling and, and fighting against him right now. And he says, I'll lay down my life for him. <laughs> it, there's only one place that comes from. There's only one person who's ever done that. That's what Jesus did for you. While you were his enemy, rejecting him, ignoring him, denying him, fighting against him in a thousand different ways in your heart and in your life, when you deserved to die, he threw himself in front of you. He took your bullet for you. He poured out his blood for you. He said, here's how great my love is for you. Because he said, this is the only way. There's nothing else apart from him. There's no other way. There's no other way to be connected to God but through him. There is no one else. And he said, I know, I know you need something to be done inside you. You need a new heart and a new spirit. You need this new covenant. And it only comes by Jesus' blood. And so we remember today who he is. We remember today how great he is. We remember today how much we need him. We take this because of that. So I'm going to ask you to 
So get your elements. We're going to take this together, and then we're going to worship him. And then we're going to stay together after. We hope you'll stay with us. And we're going to celebrate and enjoy just hanging out and kicking off the summer and having fun in, in the freedom and the joy of who Jesus is and who he makes us as his people. And so Jesus, taking the bread that night, said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the cup and he said this cup is my blood of the new covenant the new covenant that God promised the new heart, his spirit in you, changing you by his power so that you can be who he calls you to be, giving you what you need Jesus I'm I'm bringing that to you, I'm giving that to you I'm, I'm winning that for you this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you for the things you shared this morning. They were awesome. They were great truths about God. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you, seriously. I know we covered a lot, a lot of ground. And thank you for listening. I pray that God will use it to bear fruit in us. I'm going to pray that for us right now, and then we're going to worship. Father, we trust you to do what only you can do. And we ask you to do it. We pray these words from your word. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Father, according to your power at work within us, to you be the glory in your church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.